The Evergreen State is known for its rainy days. Precipitation that some say never ends, but we like to keep a little secret. Summertime in the Pacific Northwest is something else. July and August, beautiful, 75 degrees, nothing but blue skies as far as the eye can see, and no rain. The perfect backdrop for wherever your pleasure takes you, hiking in the forest, boating in the Puget Sound, swimming in the hundreds of lakes and rivers. But the summer of 2018 was different. It was a scorcher with 11 days of over 90 degrees. And there's something else locals are very familiar with when it gets really hot pretty quickly. Some Washingtonians, lovers of rain and mild temperatures, will start complaining pining for our raindrops and mild temperatures. Not only was it hot that summer, our corner of the world felt like it was on fire. Wildfires devastating, raging out of control in Washington, Oregon, California, and British Columbia. The days were foreboding as smoke blotted out the sun, and even at night, there was little reprieve from the heat. Cool winds brought in a fresh delivery of smoke and light ash. And there was something else under the cover of darkness that summer. A predator was hunting cats. The cat was just found that just the head on the post. Clearly a human put the head on the post. And even though these killings were happening in roughly a 20-mile radius near the capital city of Olympia, the crime of animal killing struck a primal chord. Cities were on edge. Neighbors trolled the streets in citizen patrols. A reward for over $50,000 was offered to find the cat killer, and a task force of detectives were assigned to the case. People are like, well, why aren't they doing anything? Why is nothing being done? More animals are going to be killed, and then they're going to move on to humans. But just as soon as the killing started, once the rain came back to Seattle at summer's end, the cat killings mysteriously stopped. But did they? I'm Carolyn Osorio with Kim Shepard, and this is the scene of the crime. Carolyn, I don't even know what to say on this one. That was a long pause. It's really hard to hear these types of stories. You know, I'm an animal lover. And this is going to be a tough one for me. I, I don't know why, but it's just so much harder for me when it's when it's animals. And that's how what the feeling was, you know, across the across the state. It felt like even though it was happening in one particular area, Olympia, the capital city of Washington, it just ramped up so quickly. Kim, I remember this so well, covering it in the newsroom, and every day that summer, it felt like the story was just ramping up. I mean, that's the the reward, the fear, the desperation. The story even made national headlines at the height of the case. The New York Times had this headline, a serial cat killer is on the loose in Washington state. Now, underneath that headline, there was an image of two grim looking couples holding up photos of their beloved cats. And in the background, there are homemade signs. One read, cat killer in all caps. And underneath it says $20,000 reward. Another says, keep animals in and ominously beware. Hmm. So it's just... It reminds me of that that Netflix documentary that came out not too long ago, Don't... Don't F with Cats. Yeah. I mean, and, and they say in that in that documentary, I, I, 
again, started to watch it, didn't finish it because couldn't do it. Um, But in that, they say rule zero on the internet or the dark web or whatever the heck it is, is don't fuck with cats. Yeah. Because that's the most important rule. Even more important than rule number one is rule zero. That's what they call it. I. I, I thought that was interesting. I'd never heard that before. Well, you know, we'll get to the don't F with cats in a bit. But what for me, although it was extremely disturbing with the cats, I mean, I'm not going to I know you're 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 such a huge animal lover and, and, and I love animals. We have a cat. But the underlying the media's response, the 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 fear, like it just seemed so palpable and so different from from many cases like you know in the news we hear a lot of different stories all the time they're coming down all the time this one just you know really sparked and so I remember trying that summer uh, trying to get an FBI profiler to talk to me about the case, you know, from a 30,000-foot view. But at the time, you know, they just weren't talking about it. They didn't want to, you know, that whole thing about this is an active investigation. You know, we can't talk. Right. And and I was just so curious. But now, two years later, I was able to speak with a retired FBI profiler with over 45 years' experience in human behavior and decades of experience in the behavioral science unit at the at the FBI. So Kenneth Lanning. Uh, But before we get to that exclusive interview with Agent Lanning, let's talk about what happened that summer in Thurston County in the summer of 2018. So I spoke to Thurston County Sheriff's Office Detective Carrie Nestonsky, who was one of the officers assigned to the case. It was strange just because they were the same every time or the same most of the time where that it did look like they were splayed out and laid a specific way. So I think that's why people were so heightened, thinking that this was a one human doing all of this. So as I said, I wanted to do this story for a couple of reasons. Obviously, the linkage between animal cruelty and killing that's linked to serial killers. You know, that's something that everybody knows about pretty much. But also the fear the case revealed, why people were so upset, and and then the media fanning the, the fire. But let's talk about a general timeline that summer. So two cats were found mutilated in July, which is, of course, creepy. But alarm bells really started going off in August. Over the course of that month, 11 cats were killed. So in early August, Ollie was found in the front yard, and Ollie may have had the perpetrator DNA underneath his claws, and it was reported that that DNA would be sent to the lab. Ollie was described as a fighter. I mean, okay. the way... Do we even know if it's a human killing them? I mean, we, cats are, are dead, but there are coyotes and bobcats and things in the area. Do I, we... I know. And so how it was reported was like you hear cat Ollie. I mean, it's so humanized, you know, like right. the DNA... like the we're DNA looking... under his fingernails. Like, I mean, yeah. his claws. What? <laughs> I'd be surprised they took it this seriously so early on. I I know there was 11 cats, but that could happen. Yeah. So here's Harley's owner talking to Q13. He was about 20 years old. He was deaf. He'd been in the neighborhood for a really long time, laid his body out for everyone to see. It's really disturbing. So my reaction to that is he's 20 years old and deaf. Yeah. So, so if there was a predator coming after him, he probably he couldn't couldn't get away. Why are we immediately thinking this is a person? I think the way that he was splayed out gave people pause to think this was, you know, who would do something like this. But I, you know, as this was happening, at some point I can't remember our cat Duncan was 
killed by raccoons. And so I'd never had that sense of what that looked like. But that literally, when they when those raccoons killed Duncan, our beloved cat that we had for 10 years, he literally was cut from the top to the bottom. And his organ, I mean, not to be gross, but his organs were out. So I think that a lot of people don't have a lot of experience right. in this type of, you know, you see something like that and you're like, who could have done? I mean, I was shocked. I could not believe that raccoons did that to Duncan. Yeah. And, and the other surprising thing is you would think that if they were killing an animal to eat it, they would take it with them or they would at least take part of it with them. So when when none of it's taken, you might think, well, it wasn't an animal. Well, and certain parts were taken and they found certain pieces. So it was just like, I think that that's how the the normal kind of thing. Well, let's take a look at this. Let's look at what what's happening. It, it kind of like skyrocketed pretty quickly because another cat on the 7th, two on the 15th, and then another on the 17th. So you can see like a week, there's like all of a sudden all these cats and bodies and parts are being found and they're being displayed. And so it's kind of like by this time you have Facebook, the uh, Facebook page organizing citizen patrols and residents in these neighborhoods are getting really freaked out, understandably so, because as we've talked about, everyone's worst fear was that this cat killer could become a human killer as well. So our psyches are just kind of ramping up. The sheriff's office had someone on staff who was able to perform uh, necropsies on a couple of the cats, and it was pretty intense. She also thought that it was human, you know, human killing these people or killing these animals. So that added to a little bit of the hysteria. It's funny that she even almost said, killing these people. Yeah. Because that's how they're being seen. Yeah. Now, did they test the, the DNA under the claws? So so I'm not laughing because I think this is funny. I'm trying to build up what it was like because all these questions that you're asking are amazing questions. It's just that I think that people were assuming the worst from the very beginning and they weren't asking those kinds of thoughtful questions of like, well, wait a second, let's make sure. Let's just, it just really ramped up. And so- hmm. I love this piece where Q13 anchor and host of Washington's Most Wanted, David Rose, who I I very much admire very much so. Anyway, he's after he interviews a lead detective on the case, he then looks into the camera. Those of you who follow me, you know that I will not rest. I will do everything I can to get these guys the leads they need to catch this killer. And a little message to the freak that's killing these cats. There is nowhere left to hide. They are coming for you. Start looking over your shoulder. It is only a matter of time. Okay, when he says they are coming for you, I'm picturing giant cats. <laughs> My gosh. Like big cat soldiers. Big cat SWAT well, team. And, and that's basically what you have. I mean, we're laughing now, but one of the reasons why I wanted to play it was because it really shows how seriously how they were taking seriously it. it was being taken and how scared people were. It reminds me of a Saturday Night Live skit where it's like sort of based in reality, but just a little over the top. Yeah. Now, in hindsight, listening to it, you can we can laugh about it. But it was I guarantee you when he made that, hey, we're coming for you. I mean, that was serious shit, because when you think of somebody who could potentially be killing cats and then ramping up like we've all seen in how many movies and how many dramatizations and procedurals, like they do go to cats. I mean, they but do go to humans. frequently? I mean, do we really know how often that actually happens or how many people perhaps do this kind of activity as children and never ramp up and do more? We don't know about those people. 
Yeah, it's ironic here, too, because these are the types of cases that would lead one to some of these people. Uh, Gary Ridgway, for example. But nobody knew that he'd killed animals. Nobody knew that he'd hurt this little boy before then. And so he went on to do what he did. But it's like these are, quote unquote, nuisance cases of, you know, cat killing, arson, uh, peeping toms. Like you don't know which ones to take seriously and which ones not to take seriously. Yeah, which and peeping Tom is going to be satisfied with looking? That feeling of like, who is this? Who is doing this to our beloved animals? We are going to find you. We are going to get together as a community, and we're going to find out I, who I, is doing this. I think it's hilarious the level of intensity in the community when there's no evidence that it's not just an animal attack. Well, there will be a couple of things that'll make you wonder. Okay. So from August 20th through the 22nd, three more cats were found killed. And the situation ramped up even further when a dead dog was found. Right around the same time, dog that was found skinned down by the Nisqually River, and it was just, you know, the carcass of this dog was found, and the, the hide wasn't there. It was just this creepy, so they're like, oh my God, this cat killer has moved on to this dog. That is creepy. Yeah, it was creepy. And so the hysteria then ratcheted up even further. And she talks about how, you know, law enforcement is trying to kind of put this into perspective, but that they can understand pets are beloved. You know, we have a lot of child abuse and and rapes and robberies and that kind of thing. But when you throw an animal into the mix, for whatever reason, people, and I'm one of them too, you know, like it hurts your heart even more than these other crimes because the animals, just like children, you know, they're helpless and they can't, they can't help themselves. They can't tell you what's happening. And so when you have a crime like this that seemed to be so savage, we really needed to look into it. Detective Nastansky says some things about the case weren't adding up, and she says it was important to take a step back and take emotion out of the picture. Maybe these deaths weren't the result of a cat killer. In one case, she was absolutely certain that it was an accident. So this cat gets hit by a car. They call and say that it's in the middle of the road. Somebody calls and says, oh, we moved it to the side of the road because we didn't want more people running over it. So we get there, I get there as the investigator, animal services get there as the investigator, they're going to take possession of this cat and take it to have a necropsy done. And I'm like, you can clearly see in the middle of the road, the blood and guts from this cat being run over. Somebody picks the cat up and moves it. So what happens? The entrails get splayed out. So when the cat is found on the side of the road, it looks like it's been placed like all of these other cats. So the veterinarian comes back and says, it was human that did this. And so I called the veterinarian and I explained to her, like, hey, did they actually tell you this whole story that somebody found the cat in the middle of the road, somebody else picked it up and moved it, and then it was found on the side of the road? No, the only information she had was that it was found on the side of the road, splayed out. So she changed her opinion after I told her the full story. And so it would take six months, but eventually... 10 of the deaths of the cats were ruled to have been caused by wild animals or because of, you know, a car accident. And that really, you know, we need that context in the investigation, the level-headed, we need to know. And, and fortunately, you know, she did that as for the skinned dog I mentioned earlier. They got a tip that it wasn't a victim of the cat killer, but the work of a taxidermist who got lazy. What? <laughs> I can't <laughs> This is the most disturbing part yet. The owners of the dog paid for this 
dog to be, um, for the coat to be tanned so they could keep the, the hide of this dog. You know, whatever sentimental reasons these people had. So typically they would dispose of the dog. The taxidermy company would dispose of the dog. Well, they, they normally would drive it out into the middle of the woods and apparently let livestock or, you know, the coyotes and wolves and whatever eat it. Um, but this, the son is sick, so he took an easier route and just dumped it by the river. And wow. so that created a, lot, created a lot of hysteria as well. Okay, I thought I would be crying in this episode out of sadness, not out of laughter. (laughs) I know it's it's weird how I mean. Oh, I think that's part of my. I wasn't ready for this. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) I think that looking back, there's that trigger response of this is comical almost because it's like the, the people are just freaking out but it's like it was real for people and the cats did die tragically i mean i guess it's hindsight's 2020 right like we're monday morning quarterbacking because we know Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. that most of these cases were animal caused but at the time i mean i could see where if you have a bunch of cats winding up dead within one week it would be concerning i don't know it's it's hard for me though i mean this is the pacific northwest we have a lot of predatory animals and it's not safe for cats to be out on the streets i don't know why we have so many outdoor cats around here but <laughs> well and, th- and another thing too is that we are huge animal lovers in the pacific northwest i mean yeah. we're known for you got a place where people love their animals but there were some mutilated cats that couldn't be ruled out as being killed by a human being Remember, one of the cats in 2018, its head was found on a post near a reward poster. And then in another case, there was a glove found next to a mutilated body. They did send that glove off for DNA testing. So we did send them off, and there wasn't enough DNA to test for anything. I think there still definitely could be somebody out there who killed a few cats. I'm definitely not taking that away from anybody. and We just don't have anything to go on, and we don't have any evidence to follow the majority of the cats. So I think we had 13 or so, at least 10 of them, she was able to say that it was animal that did this to these cats. And the other three, she was like undetermined because there were so few pieces left. Like the one you said where the cat was just found that just the head on the post. So yeah, a human put the head on the post, but how do we know that they didn't just find it? And then put it on the post. Like, how do we know they killed the cat? And that's what she said. She said she thought that it was probably somebody just playing a joke and Mm. saw the cat head and then decided to put it on the post by the poster. But they don't know. And she said that cases like these are hard because she has so many cases involving vulnerable humans Mm -hmm. that need her help. I have my 30 cases of these sex offenses against children. Well, you know, if it is a cat killer and if he is going to move on to humans and he does and we don't catch him, then obviously my direction is going to go towards investigating the death of this human. And we would get the flack because of, you know, too little, too late. We told you so kind of thing. But we didn't have anything to go on then. You know, we there's if there's not any trail or evidence for me to follow, I'm not really sure what people expect for us to do so that's like it's frustrating because i want to find it if there's a person of course i want to find them and i want to give justice to these pet owners and hope that it never moves on to a human if i had somebody come to me with a specific person 
giving me specific details like that, I absolutely 100% would have followed it. But we didn't have that. What we had was 100 anonymous complaints of suspicious things that they've seen, people making jewelry from bones, a guy walking down the street tried to lure a cat and put him in a backpack. We did have a few that were suspicious, and we did interview them and talk to them. And that was, and you know, that was kind of the end of it. So they, even though she says that she was look, taking a critical eye on this and, you know, using her detective skills to say, hey, I don't think a lot of these cats were killed by wild animals and car accidents, they did end up, like, trailing people. And she said that they did something overnight where they were watching one of these people that were turned in on the tip line. And so they did do that due diligence. But in that particular cut that I just played, the specific person that she's talking about coming to her are like the super sleuths that were featured in that crazy Netflix series, Don't F With Cats. Now, if you don't know, this is an award-winning series that's described as a twisted criminal's gruesome videos drive a group of amateur online sleuths to launch a risky manhunt that pulls them into a dark underworld. I thought it was pretty amazing that those people put all that time and energy into it. And frankly, if we had somebody like that here that was able to do that, I would have absolutely 100% taken their help because I don't have time to do that. Right now I'm looking at my desk and I have 30 cases where I'm investigating sexual abuse against children. So obviously that's going to take a priority over a cat killer that we have proof that the majority of them were an animal. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be as an investigator that all this pressure is happening and people are like, why aren't you doing anything? This could be this this person could be ramping up to kill a human being. And what are you guys doing? And it's like it, it sort of ended up being a non-case. Yeah, I, that's a tough spot to be in. And and just I mean, 30 cases for one detective. Let's just talk about that for a second. Yeah. I mean, that's that's got to be tough. There's no way she could possibly do everything she'd want to do on that many cases at one time. But. That's a whole other story. That's a whole other story. But she says that closing the case doesn't mean they've closed the case. I want to say, oh, well, there's not a cat killer. And then somebody decides, well, I'm going to prove her wrong and start killing cats. Like, obviously, I don't want that because it clearly could be that there is somebody out there that did a few of these for ritualistic, satanic reasons, whatever it may be. I'm not saying that they didn't do it. I'm not saying 100% that it was a coyote or a raccoon every time. What I mean is that there wasn't a serial cat killer out there running around Thurston County killing all these animals. So there were two more cat killings on August 28th and 30th, and then they just stopped right before Labor Day weekend. Some believe if there was some kind of cat killer that maybe they went back to school. Mm. So the case basically went unsolved despite a $53,000 reward to find the killer. And it didn't really end there. In the summer of 2019, a cat's head was found on a fence in Olympia next to a missing cat poster from 2018. Authorities say this was obviously the act of a human, not another animal. So in early August 2019, this is separate. A string of cat killings happened again, this time in Everett. Now, this is roughly 90 miles from Thurston County. At first, the police department said that a veterinarian determined their deaths were caused intentionally by a person and not by other animals. 
The five cat mutilations happened within a 15 to 20 block radius of one another. Later that month, though, according to a police news release, after reviewing the case, tips the detective assigned to the case was not led to believe someone was mutilating cats, but they did say they didn't know the type of animal that was responsible. So now this summer, detectives in Kennewick were working the case of seven cat killings. And Mm. it's the same kind of story where it's like, at first they thought the cats had been killed elsewhere and then were brought to where they were found. But police now believe, because they said that they were reportedly cut in half or decapitated, and the police believe the killings are related. Kennewick is four hours from Olympia, but by mid-July, authorities sent the remains to Wazoo, Washington State University, and it was determined that the cats died as a result of coyote predation. The case has been closed, but some people aren't convinced. There's another Facebook page up called Cat Killer in Kennewick Wah, just in case. I feel like they they want to be the next don't f with cats and they're 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 looking for the next case so they can do it too. There could be, but that's the whole thing about this case. This the the media frenzy, why people want to jump to conclusions that it is a human being doing this. I mean, these are all the things that that make me interested in the case and why I wanted to talk about it now that, you know, whether or not, you know, we do know that there's people who kill cats. I mean, there's just no, or animals. We do know that. Yeah. So Kim, in the beginning of the show, though, I talked about speaking to a retired FBI profiler about this case. It didn't happen in 2018, but it was worth waiting two years to speak with retired agent Kenneth Lanning, who has written a book, Love, Bombs, and Molesters, an FBI agent's journey about his work with the BSU and his research involving the sexual victimization of children, satanic ritual, child abuse, and confirmation bias. That is a long title. You know what? It's a very long title. I, I think the end of the title is is key in this situation, the yes. confirmation bias. You are so spot on. And that's what I was excited to get to. So Ken was extremely generous with his time and knowledge. I spoke to him for almost two hours about the cat mutilations, but also why these types of killings lead to such hysteria in the community. But first, what does an FBI agent in the behavioral science unit do? One of the common calls that we would get over time would be a police department that would call up and they would have somebody engaging in what in police terminology was commonly referred to as a nuisance sex offense. Now, the term nuisance obviously depends on who you are and what your perspective is. When it's happening to you, it may not be considered to be just a nuisance. But the idea was nobody was, no human being was seriously hurt. So a lot of it involved things like window peeping and indecent exposure and things like that. And also some of it involved animal cruelty and things like that. So they call you and say, we have these cases of X, Y, and Z, these kind, this kind of nuisance behavior. But their ultimate question to me with the behavioral science unit was, is this guy going to escalate? Is this guy going to progress? Do you know where he's from? I, I'm trying oh to my place gosh, his totally accent. You can't hear it. He's totally Boston? from New York. Okay, no, this is like reminds me. He almost me. sounds like Boston no, to me. No, he's in New York, which All I right. can't really. If my dad's from New York, so he totally is like reminding me of my dad. But yeah, so these profilers are really good, but it's impossible to know with 100% certainty how many of these types of criminals will elevate to killing human beings. But we talked about why this case ramped up so quickly. So when you're talking about pets, many people consider them to be members of their family and all the rest of that kind of stuff. 
people react very extremely to sort of the same thing. If you have a missing child case involving a 17-year-old prostitute out on the street, people don't react to that the same way they do a story of about some five-year-old girl playing jump rope in front of her house and somebody appears to abduct her. Certain kinds of cases have certain emotional appeal. And uh, what I discovered in evaluating lots of different kinds of cases is an old thing that I learned in the days when I used to teach hostage negotiation is that when emotion goes up, reason goes down. (laughs) And you can see that's what happened here. The detective working the case said there was a lot of pressure to solve it, but she says she approached it very methodically despite all the fear and rush to judgment, something Agent Lanning says is crucial. Whether you're talking about animal cruelty or any of these things, they can vary significantly from case to case. And one of the problems is because they are considered to be a kind of a nuisance, most of the incidents of these kinds of things are simply not reported to law enforcement. So they're not aware of a certain number of the cases that happen. And when they are reported, sometimes the police departments don't record it. And it's not some place that they can retrieve it in some kind of way to find out about other cases. So there's a lot you don't know. And I used to talk about they would call you up about a case and say, okay, this is the first case, the second case, and the third case. But the fact of the matter is the three cases they were talking about were not the first, second, and third. They were the second, the 29th, and the 52nd case. They just didn't know about all the others. So the more information that you have to look at the patterns, the more information you can make better decisions concerning the significance of the behavior and and what might happen. And the problem is that some of these nuisance offenders escalate and some of them don't escalate. Some of them just keep doing the same pattern over and over again for long periods of time. But the main thing that I've discovered that many people don't realize, they would always ask you, what are the chances that this guy we arrested for a minor offense might in the future escalate? I would always remind them he may have already escalated because they think that you go down this road and as you go up each step, you just keep going up higher and higher, more and more serious. They don't understand that many of these guys go up and down. So they may go out one night just peep in a window. They may go out three nights later and enter a home and rape a woman. And then go back and peep again. That's interesting. I had never yeah. really thought of it that way. But he, he's right. Yeah, just because you've escalated doesn't mean you're going to stop doing your previous behavior. Well, and he also talks about MO, modus operandi, which is what you do in your crime, like what the steps you take, and then ritual. And that they're totally different because ritual is what they have to do in order to get whatever gratification they're getting out of it. And sometimes they have to adjust their ritual because it's going to get them caught. But it's really hard for them to do that because of Mm. that ritual. Whereas the modus MO is something like, okay, this is how I'm going to rob a bank and this is how I've been successful. And so it's just kind of interesting the the differences in cases like this. Um, But he says that... Putting together a profile requires knowing as many facts, but you still need evidence to be able to close a case. And he gave the example of a reporter would call, you know, call him and say, hey, I want you to put a profile together. You know, hopefully he wasn't referring to me when I called back <laughs> in 2018. And, and he says, you know, they and he's like, OK, you got a fax machine. I'll, or I'll fax it over. Fax to, I know fax. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. And and he said that um, he's like, OK, I'm going to fax you over the AP story of this case. And he's like, that is not going to help. They need details that can't even be published because they're probably so gruesome or so whatever to to make that an accurate profile. So the more cases 
that you're aware of, the better you can do that. And then if you can make evaluations, and the FBI eventually started to use the term signature. Signature is kind of a combination of the offender's MO plus these need-driven rituals, and you put them together, and it's more of a signature. So you have sea of cases that are linked by a kind of signature that's a better linkage, but it's still not nearly as good and never as good as something like fingerprints or DNA. And then at the end of the day, I got Agent Lanning's impression as to why. Why would someone kill an animal? And of course, Ken says it's complicated. They used to call it the homicidal triad. That was supposedly a lot of these serial killers were bedwetters and they set fires and they were cruel to animals. Well, what does that mean? You set fires. When I was a kid growing up in New York City, we used to burn up old Christmas trees. So do I qualify as some? I put that one in for you. And if I had some medical problem that caused me to wet the bed, and I like to take my magnifying glass and shine it on ants and burn them up. So do I meet those three things? Am I engaging in the homicidal triad and I'm likely to be a serial killer? So each of these things have to be looked at in a range rather than just giving a simple, a simplistic label to them. And when you lump too many things together, it increases the odds that you're going to make an evaluation mistake. So you have to look at it. So this animal cruelty, to me, the most dangerous kind is always the kind where it's Mrs. Jones's cat. This is the beloved pet of this woman, this elderly woman. This pet is very important to them. It's almost like a family member. And when you find somebody who's going to do something horrible to that animal and leave it displayed on her front step or something like that, very often that individual is, I would consider, to be much more dangerous. I mean, you say, what's what's his motivation? His motivation is to hurt somebody, not necessarily the cat, but in this case, Mrs. Jones. But an important thing that you mentioned earlier that's very important that I learned is any kind of a case that evokes strong emotion in people, it increases the odds that somebody is going to make a mistake and error in judgment. People tend to believe what they want or need to believe. And that's that confirmation bias. They'll look at the information at hand and figure out how it fits with what they believe to be true or what they want to be true. And they will negate anything that might hint the other way. Yeah. And they when these moral panics are what they're called, a feeling of fear spread among many people that some evil threatens the well-being of society. And then it's stoked by these lurid headlines that amplify perception of danger and that puts pressure on authorities to act. And sometimes it's not even real. Like many of these cats, most of them probably were you know, died at the hands of wild animals, coyotes, raccoons. And yet there's this need for us to associate some depraved killer that's going to move on to humans if we don't catch him. And so I think it's definitely, I mean, I love the human behavior aspect of it and analyzing why why do we do these things? Well, and why is this something that we would want to believe? That's what I, I guess I'm stumped by that one. Like, why would we want to believe it was a person killing these cats? Well, I know that when I asked him that question, he talked a lot about cult activities and sexual abuse of children activities where we want to believe that it's like the old man in the wrinkled raincoat or, you know, some deviant person. And we can't believe that it could be our neighbor. It could be our brother. It could be, you know, someone we know and somebody that we, 
you know, would never believe would do this. We have to, our brains collectively have to believe that it's somehow related to some sinister, you know, devilish plot. But in this case, I mean, if, if many of these were animal predation, it wasn't a person at all. It was, I mean, why, could, why, why couldn't we just let it go at that? Like, why did we have to assign it to a human? I don't know. I mean, I still don't. You know, he said it was complicated. I still don't get why we had to do that. But we clearly, when we saw this pattern, we wanted to make the pattern fit into what we believed was going on. And that's what's so interesting. It's it's horrible what happened to the animals, but it's interesting if you look at it from the human behavior. And that's why I tried to, you know, we were laughing at some of those cuts earlier because it's just crazy how stuff like this ramps up. And what's right. really sad is that she has 30 cases of child abuse that were probably collecting dust as they were, you know, because she can't be in 50 million places at one time. Because when the public wants you to do something, oh, my gosh, you know, you and we yeah. collectively get together. You better damn well do it quick and find find the person responsible for this. Yeah. So the funny thing is, too, I was uh looking at this, the date of when this happened, because I was in the area when it happened, and I don't remember the story at all. I was going to ask you. I was waiting for you to I say, I totally it. remember. You know what? I was on uh, like a six-week road trip when oh. this happened. I missed the whole thing. Oh, uh, okay. That makes sense, because I'm like, what? I was waiting for you to be like, yeah, I remember going in the newsroom, and because you and I work different schedules. I right. was there early in the morning. You were there later in the afternoon, and it seemed like every morning I was going in there, the reward had gone up by two more thousand, and then another two more thousand, then five thousand, and then <laughs> another body, and then another, you know, I mean, it was just, and then it was hot, and the smoke, and the, it just, to me... I remember the wildfires because we our road trip took us down to California, and yeah, I was taking pictures of all of the places. I saw smoke all over the place. It was devastating. But yeah, yeah, it was a it was a crazy summer. It yeah. was a crazy summer. Speaking of crazy summers, we're gonna take a little summer break, mm-hmm. sort of. We're still gonna be doing uh, some work on a few cases, maybe. Uh, Put out a few mini episodes, some deepish thoughts, uh, maybe look at some ghost stories. I'm excited to (laughs) to do some ghost stories because I know that always gets you revved up. And there's a couple in Seattle that I'm really excited to share. Some that really creep. There's one particular case that creeped me out when I was a little kid. Well, when I was a teenager. And uh, I'm excited to kind of uh, share that story with you guys. And we'll be back with full episodes of Seed of the Crime in September. Um, you know, reach out to us. One of the episodes we're researching right now is the Lindsay Baum case. We had one of our listeners say, hey, do the Lindsay Baum case. And so we're on it and we're going to, we're researching it while we take a little hiatus. So definitely reach out to us um, via our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and let us know what you're thinking, any story ideas that you'd like us to pursue. I'm Carolyn Osorio with Kim Shepard, and this is The Scene of the Crime.